Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Tianlu. Coming up in this edition, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has reportedly accepted the resignation of Prime Minister Mohammed Shtai and his government. UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has accused multiple nations of ignoring international laws and calls for urgent reforms of the UN Security Council. And South Korea's government has set a Thursday deadline for trainee doctors to return to work as protests against medical schools' admissions continue. We begin with the Middle East. It's been reported that Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has accepted the resignation of Prime Minister Mohammed Shtai and his government. They will continue their duties until a new government is formed. Shtai has cited the need for change after the conflict in Gaza ends. David Biller with the Associated Press has more from Jerusalem. This mass resignation is aimed at paving the way towards a shakeup in the PA. It also shows that the PA wants a role in running post-war Gaza. That's also what Washington wants. Now, we don't know yet who is going to be uh, picked as the replacement prime minister, but the expected choice is Muhammad Mustafa. This is a man who has held key leadership positions in the PA. He is currently the senior economic advisor to President Abbas. He also uh, runs the Palestinian Investment Fund. Most Interestingly, perhaps, he worked for the World Bank in Washington for more than 15 years. So he is a known quantity there. He is a, uh, a technocrat. But there could be huge obstacles. Namely, we don't know if Hamas or Israel would, would want to work with him. Uh, the Palestinian Authority is, is very unpopular among Palestinians, and President Abbas isn't going anywhere yet. So it would be a limited shakeup, at least, and um, it could be a step in the right direction, but perhaps not enough. We had exchanges of attacks between Israel and Hezbollah. It started with Hezbollah downing an Israeli drone that was flying over Lebanon. Uh, later, Israeli fighter jets uh, targeted Hezbollah targets deep inside Lebanon, the deepest yet or among the deepest yet since the uh, war in Hamas began, uh, killing at least two Hezbollah members. Hezbollah retaliated with uh, 60 rockets aimed at the Golan Heights, um, and Israel then retaliated back went after the launch site as well as another uh, Hezbollah member who was targeted and killed. So this really reflects the heightened tensions in uh, northern Israel on the border. And Hezbollah has been saying that it could end these near daily attacks if there were a ceasefire in Gaza. Israel, on the other hand, has said that these attacks will only continue. And in fact, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said that they will escalate attacks even if there is a ceasefire. That was David Biller in Jerusalem. Staying on the Middle East, the UN's top court has wrapped up six days of public hearings examining the legal consequences of Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories. The case comes less than a month after a separate dispute was initiated in the same court by South Africa, which accused Israel of committing genocide in Gaza. Trent Murray reports. In the final day of oral arguments, some of the Palestinians' staunchest allies arrived in The Hague, the League of Arab States, Organization of Islamic Cooperation and the African Union, all pushing for an end to Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories. Turkey used its presentation to call out what it sees as historical injustice in the region. Israeli-Palestinian conflict did not start on 7 October 2023. The conflict is not about a certain Palestinian faction or group. 
The conflict dates back to an earlier century. But the real obstacle to peace is obvious. The deepening occupation by Israel of the Palestinian territories. This case is being closely watched. It follows a request by the UN General Assembly for the court to issue a so-called advisory opinion on the legality of Israel's decades-long military control of the West Bank, Gaza and East Jerusalem. China's legal team arguing for justice for the Palestinians. 57 years have passed since Israel began its occupation of the OPT, regardless of the duration of the occupation, the unlawful nature of the occupation and the sovereignty over the occupied territories remain unchanged. Mr. President, justice has been long delayed, but it must not be denied. Already this case is one for the history books. More than 50 countries have presented their arguments. It's the largest number of nations to participate in a single ICJ case since the court was established all the way back in 1945. While some may hope this case could pave the way for Israel to end its control over the occupied Palestinian territories and even the eventual dismantling of Israeli settlements, Actually arriving at that point will likely prove difficult. The court's advisory opinions are non-binding, as some of Israel's allies, including the United States, oppose the case as being brought forward by the Palestinians. Under the established framework, any movement towards Israel's withdrawal from the West Bank and Gaza requires consideration of Israel's very real security needs. We were all reminded of those security needs on October 7, and they persist. While Israel has chosen not to take part in the oral arguments of the case, in a written submission, it said the court's involvement could be harmful in achieving a negotiated settlement. It's expected the court will take roughly six months to issue its opinion on the case, a verdict which could have ramifications right across the region. That was Trent Murray reporting. In Europe, UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has warned that nations and their governments are ignoring the rule of law and the rules of war enshrined in the Geneva Conventions and the UN Charter. Addressing the opening session of the Human Rights Council in Geneva, Guterres also called for urgent reforms of the Security Council, accusing it of paralysis and failing to compel countries to cut weapons stockpiles. Evangelist Sipsas reports from Geneva. Strong comments indeed, and it's the language that we're quite used to now from Antonio Guterres. From Ukraine to Sudan to Myanmar, the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Gaza, parties to conflict are turning a blind eye to international law, the Geneva Conventions and even the United Nations Charter. The Security Council is often deadlocked, unable to act on the most significant peace and security issues of our time. The Council needs serious reform to its composition and working methods. He also mentioned, of course, that the day, as the days are going by, our world is becoming less safe and uh, that uh, the people, he doesn't understand how a lot of, some of the members actually of the Security Council uh, will justify killing, torturing, injuring, sexual violence about, uh, against humans. And now uh, some of the members are actually uh, under 
undermining the International Human Rights Council and how they're not taking it into consideration. He pointed a lot of fingers without, of course, mentioning who or what, but his language was quite strong. He said that we need to work all together again. We need to revise how we work. We need to stick together to be able to fight uh, different issues that are happening around the world when it comes to human rights. Uh, and he specifically mentioned, uh, he spoke a lot about actually on Gaza and Israel, and he said that we need to sit down again and we need to figure, uh, focus on a different way of how we can actually tackle these uh, human rights violations that are taking place in the Gaza Strip. The speech from Wang, Wang Yi, uh, he did speak about what is going on in Gaza. He did mention that uh, the world, as Guterres said, needs to work together to be able to uh, fight against human rights violations, how there needs to be a proper way of governing human rights around the world. He specifically said that China is uh, playing a significant role and a large part in, in preserving global human rights governance. And he said that China has been doing it and will continue to do it. As a responsible country, China plays an active part in global human rights governance. We have contributed efforts to the conclusion of a series of important international conventions and declarations on human rights. The vision of building a community with a shared future for mankind represents a shared aspiration of people of all countries. It also injects strong impetus into human rights protection worldwide. And he also mentioned quite similar to what Guterres said, that the council needs to be putting in its work, its fair work without any injustice, to be fair towards all the members that are on the council, that they need to work together to make sure that all parties will be, will be receiving the same amount of attention and will be uh, taking into consideration their issues. That was Evangelist Sipsas on the UN Secretary General's call for reforms of the Security Council. Now turning to Asia. Medical personnel remain on strike in South Korea despite an official ultimatum urging trainee doctors to return to work before Thursday. The unrest, which has been raging for days since the government announced a plan to increase the number of medical students. Protesters are calling it unfair, but recent polls suggest up to 75% of the public supports the move. Martin Lowy has more from Seoul. Well, there's absolutely no sign of either side softening their position. South Korean government has said to the doctors they have three days until February the 29th to return to work or they face having their licenses to practice medicine suspended and possible prosecution in the courts. Now so far around 9,000 of the country's 13,000 trainee and junior doctors have walked out. Many have handed in their resignations. The situation is already critical at a number of hospitals. Some have cancelled up to 50% of operations. Others are turning away accident victims. Local media is reporting that a woman in her 80s suffered a cardiac arrest and died after being refused treatment by seven different hospitals. Other patients claim that they have to go from one hospital to another until they find a hospital that will treat them. Now, people are angry about this. Some of those patients have been quoted as saying this hard-line stance by both sides, the government and the doctors, means that they're playing hostage with people's lives. Now, the government here has ordered uh, military and police hospitals to open up and treat the general public and it's told all medical clinics that they have to stay open for longer hours to try to in some way address this critical and growing shortage in patient care. Well the main point at issue here is that the 
South Korean government wants to recruit another 2,000 trainee doctors. That's about a 60% increase on the existing numbers. Now, the government says that's necessary to prepare for the future uh, with a, a constantly aging population here in this country. But the junior doctors say first they need to address their pay and their career progression during their careers. Um, most doctors here in South Korea are paid out of private medical insurance. Around 90% of all medical care here is private. But the juniors say simply recruiting a raft of newly qualified physicians will only create a scramble for people who want to work in the most well-paid areas. Here, that's things like skin care and plastic surgery. And that does nothing to address problems in other disciplines like maternity and childcare, which will remain uh, understaffed. Now, uh, public sympathy, yes, is mixed. There's, there's really perhaps a majority of people who are backing the government in this. And a lot of people feel that actually the medical profession here is well paid, certainly after a few years in post, and certainly uh, compared to the average wage here. However, uh, the junior doctors say at the beginning of their career, they're having to work uh, 20 hours a day, 100 hours a week, and for a salary of only between 1,500 and 3,000 US dollars. They say they're overworked, underpaid, and perhaps worst of all, unheard. That was Martin Lowy on the current deadlock over South Korea's proposed increases in medical school admissions. Finally, in China, it's been a decade since China upgraded the Beijing-Tianjin Hebei Integrated Development Initiative into a national strategy. It aims to build a world-class city cluster with the nation's capital as its core and lead the coordinated development and reform of the region. Authorities have given a briefing on the achievements over the past 10 years. Biran has more. According to the members of the National Development and the Reform Commission, the coordination of transportation, environment control and industrial development are the three biggest parts of the strategy. In the past 10 years, the free, uh, policy framework has been the foundation of the strategy and has accomplished much, specifically how to implement the strategy and how to collaborate between cities within the region have been figured out like the barriers for the companies to relocate was removed to speed up their business. For Beijing, it has made a lot of breakthroughs in moving the non-capital functions out, so as to treat the urban ills such as traffic jam and pollution. So far, a lot of big enterprises, government agencies, hospitals and universities have been moved to the Xiong'an new area. And over 3,000 manufacturing bases in Beijing has also moved to Hebei and Tianjin. The Xiong Annual Area is developing as per a very well-made urban plan. Uh, its uh, infrastructure, road, transportation network, and the public space are all under full construction, and it aims to build a world-class, high-quality model city. Meanwhile, the collaboration between Beijing and Tianjin has deepened. In the future, the two cities will be playing to their complementary advantages in innovation and manufacturing. That was Biran on some of the highlights from a press briefing marking the 10th anniversary of the Beijing-Tianjin Hebei Integrated Development Initiative. Recapping today's headlines. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has reportedly accepted the resignation of Prime Minister Mohammed Shdai and his government. 
UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has accused multiple nations of ignoring international laws and calls for urgent reforms of the UN Security Council. And South Korea's government has set a Thursday deadline for trainee doctors to return to work as protests against medical school admissions continue in the country. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tianlu. Thank you for listening.